Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. That's the station you are on. My name's Andy and I'll be hanging around for the next hour uh, talking about the how to change the world. That's what we do on the Paradigm Shift, how to make the world better. Um, and this week on the show, I have been speaking to Michelle Fay, who... Along with Scott Ludlam, uh, who we have had on the show a few times over the years, uh, wrote a report for the Australian Democracy Network on state capture. What is state capture? Well, stay tuned to find out. But basically, in short, it's the reason why you get that funny feeling when you're watching the news that corporations are running our country rather than the people who live in it. State capture is a way of describing uh, that process of corporate um, takeover of institutions of power um, and making them function in their interests. Uh, Originally, it was coined um, in less developed democracies than ours, I guess, in the early breakup of the Soviet Union and things like that, the way that uh, democracies just... Uh, transition to function for big oligarchs, um, but increasingly people are seeing it as a useful term to describe what goes on in Australia and all other parts of the world, and I certainly think that there are plenty of valid points to be made in this paper written by Michelle Fay and Scott Ludlam, and in the interview, which you will hear over the next hour um, you can read the report. It is at australiandemocracy.org.au slash state capture. Um, and maybe you'll want to after you have a listen to the interview uh, to find out some more info. And, of course, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to talk at the end about what can we do about state capture. And uh, the best thing you can do is not to just think, oh, well, that's just the way it is and we've got no power Um, we've got to do something about it and uh, the answer is a more engaged civic uh, society and using all the tactics at our disposal to try to challenge the power of uh, big corporate entities. Um, So without going any further ado, let's get into this interview with Michelle Fay. Could you start off by introducing yourself? 
Hi, I'm Michelle Fay. I'm an independent researcher and writer on the arms industry, the weapons industry in Australia and its relationship with government. And you have just been part of with Scott Ludlam, another uh, friend of the Paradigm Shift, has been on a few times before. You're part of writing a report for the... Australian Democracy Network on state capture. So before we go any further, do you want to just briefly tell us what state capture is? Uh, Yes, I was part of that report. So what state capture is, in simple terms, is how corporations have eroded our democracy by basically having an outsized, undue influence on government. And... Um, we'll go further into what that means, but um, I guess as the other thing, the other side is, can you tell us um, what's the Australian Democracy Network and why I write this report? Well, the Australian Democracy Network has been set up to basically start fighting for a fair democracy in the face of um, these sort of influences we've talked about in the report. So uh, they were very keen to be able to put out to the Australian people some examples um, of how it happens because a lot of these things can sound like technical terms and mumbo-jumbo. So um, what they have done is put together a a report and Scott Ludlam and myself, um, as well as other people, have contributed to it. Um, It's got... Two detailed case studies. The first one, which a lot of people will know something about, fossil fuels industry, and then also the arms industry. So we go through those two uh, case studies in some detail to show how state capture works and the undue influence of corporations. Mm. Yes, and we'll come back to the case study you're most familiar with, the arms industry, but your um report gives a, a quite a detailed overview of state capture in different elements and you've got six broad channels which i should add all have subsections in the report of how um state capture works and so um let's start off with the first of these channels uh financial interventions yes so that's right andy the um The model of state capture that's shown in the report, which sounds a bit technical, but it's actually easy to understand. It's got the six areas. Um, The first one is financial interventions in politics. Um, That is about things like donations and behind-the-scenes fundraising and all those kind of elements. So that's a major channel, particularly in the fossil fuels industry. Less so in the arms industry, at least what we know publicly, but as you probably know, there's a lot of dark money that flows into politics, so it's entirely possible that arms industry money is in amongst that. But, but that's what the sort of thing that financial interventions, this first channel, addresses. Mm. Um, and that, as you said, that sometimes comes just outright donations to political parties but there is a a broad range of yeah what's called dark money kind of under the radar money flowing into uh political parties or other um state actors 
Yeah, there's also another element that's quite strong, um, which is corporations can pay about $100,000 a piece to come to dinners and events to meet where ministers will be in order to put their case. And these aren't regarded as donations. Um, they're a separate thing. And so sometimes that all of that side isn't properly accounted for either. So it, there's numerous ways in which corporations can pay for access that the, you know, local... that people, normal Australians, voters don't have the same sort of access. So it's not a level playing field. Mm. So the second channel that we've got is lobbying and influence? Yes, that's right. So um, that is what you would think. <laughs> it's um, corporations um, lobbying and uh, either themselves or engaging others on their behalf to um, lobby politicians and have an influence. Um, there are examples, um, well, some obvious ones from my own sort of field with the arms industry would be, for example, Christopher Pine, some of your listeners might remember, very soon, nine days, in fact, after leaving politics, wound up working with EY, a large accounting firm. But they have a defence industry business that hooks in with defence industry and is closely um, involved with government. So there's all these sorts of elements that come into lobbying and personal influence that corporations can use. Yeah, there's something, I guess lobbying is kind of an accepted part of the Australian political apparatus or something, but there is something a bit weird about it, isn't it, that there's these people who are employed by certain interest groups just to hang around Canberra, hang around politicians, get a word in their ear while they can. It, it's a, I've, at its base, it's a quite an undemocratic thing. Well, it's heavily influenced by how much money you've got, let's say, the way it is currently. So Australia has very lax rules about this. There's, of course, nothing wrong with lobbying. And a lot of, you know, all um, groups need to meet with politicians and put their case. And, in fact, even I myself, a decade ago, when the cluster munitions ban was happening, was involved in having meetings with politicians in Canberra to try and explain to them some of the problems with the legislation they were proposing. So that's all lobbying and that's part of democracy and it's very important. Um, what we are drawing uh, attention to in this report, and in fact lots of groups are the Grattan Institute and others, um, have written a lot of reports on the large impact of large corporations with their big budgets on being able to buy superior access and the fact that our um, rules here around lobbying need to be reformed. Okay, so the third channel that you've got is revolving doors and personnel exchange we've already mentioned one christopher pine who's quite experienced on the revolving door um can you tell us a bit more about this <laughs> i can so uh, for people who haven't heard this term revolving door is um 
the imagery is of those big revolving doors you see heading in and out of um, office buildings. And basically the term describes people moving in both directions. So often it's from government or having been a staffer, a politician. In my area of the arms industry, it includes senior military you can also have bureaucrats who are moving out of their publicly paid roles and into corporations and private business that are operating in the same sector they used to have oversight of. Um, so that's one, one way it revolves. And then the other way is often also where those private industries come into and influence government um, a good example of that is, say, the COVID Commission, which the government brought a whole lot of fossil fuels executives onto the COVID Commission board. So it goes in both directions, so it's revolving. Um, in terms of the arms industry, this is a big deal. So this one is probably, I would say the arms industry is one of the most expert globally on using the revolving door in order to further its aims. So that is giving jobs and board positions um, to former senior politicians, so defence ministers like Christopher Pine, also senior ex-military people from intelligence services, former senior bureaucrats will find their way onto the boards um, or other ways involved in the weapons industry. It is extensive. Yeah, there's quite a startling quote in the report from Tony Abbott's uh, recommendations to the fossil fuel industry where he says Ian McFarlane, who was an MP, um, did a great job for the mining industry when he was a MP and I hope the mining industry will re reward him for it after he retires. <laughs> exactly right. So you can see in Australia it's pretty blatant and exactly right. It's just here, it's just seen as the way business is done. But in fact, um, a report by the Grattan Institute a year or so ago shows that this sort of soft, um, in a way, legalised corruption. So it's not corrupt. It's not illegal. The revolving door isn't an illegal thing. No one's doing anything wrong. But um, it's a step on the way towards undermining democracy and corrupting public process. So um, it needs to start being called out as that and not just accepted as business as usual. Mm. Um, the next channel that you've got is institutional repurposing. This is one that might, a phrase that might be less familiar to some of our listeners. Yeah, this was a tricky one. Um, so I, I can probably best describe it by giving a couple of examples. So institutional repurposing, what, what we meant by that is you'll have um, some public institution that exists. So maybe uh, a good one, a simple one to understand, it will be, the say, the Australian War Memorial. So everyone knows what the War Memorial is there for. Um, to commemorate our losses in wars and so and to sort of give a sense of the history of that to the Australian public. So what do we mean by repurposing? Well, um, I've got this as an example in the report. It's where corporations start um, identifying different institutions that can help them promote their aims. Um, 
One method is we can see that the industry might start sponsoring those organisations, certain um, exhibitions and things like that. Um, and so this is the case with the War Memorial. We now have weapon makers sponsoring um, exhibitions there. Also, until recently, um, BAE Systems was had its name inside on a theatre at the War Memorial. They also hire the War Memorial to have functions. So you just start seeing this gradual integration of... Um, corporate aims and what they are trying to achieve with a public institution. Um, to the extent now with the War Memorial that actually a huge um, $500 million expansion is happening um, with the War Memorial in order to be able to showcase more of the modern machinery and weapons of war. So there's been a lot of public disquiet about that. Um, the extent to which the weapons industry has has influenced um, leadership at the War Memorial and Brendan Nelson when he was there, very close with the weapons industry to bring about this um, very expensive and very extensive um, expansion of the War Memorial. Does that help? Explain? Yeah, I've, one of the other things I can think of is, say, government committees on climate action or something that are then stacked with fossil fuel people to then skew the findings towards um, carbon capture and storage or clean coal or something like that. Yes, in the fossil fuel side, um, that's right. I'm a bit less expert on that, so Scott handled that side. But there is that. There are also other things. There's been stories in, this was well covered in Michael West Media um, last year, where the Bureau of Meteorology wasn't able to use um, global warming and it, there was a lot, they did a lot of exposés on that at Michael West Media with stories about keeping terms out um, and then it turns out that their senior executives there have been associated with industry. So um, you're exactly right with your example, and that's the sort of thing where we see, and the same at um, CSIRO and other institutions that used to be completely neutral and public have been gradually being um, influenced by corporate money and, and also personnel. Okay, well, let's keep moving through the many channels of state capture. Uh, the next one we've got is research and policy making. Uh, that's right. So what happens there, and we've already given, um, sort of touched on this with the institutional, what we were talking about just there, but different reports and research um, can be funded by industry. So you can have uh, what purports to be uh, an independent-looking exterior, which is actually being funded in the background by corporations to promote a particular narrative, um, which then also influences policy-making. Um, in the field that I work in, one of the examples in the report of something like that, um, there have been reports done and put out by independent so-called big accounting firms, so say KPMG or Deloitte or EY or people like that, um, on how good a certain weapon like the um, F-35 fighter jet or um, the future frigates or, you know, some something like that to show what an economic boom it is to Australia and so forth, so forth. So 
what happens in the background that most people don't realise on reports like that is that a lot of the data in those reports, in fact all of it in those two examples, um, was provided by the weapon maker concerned who's actually supplying that equipment and then the report gets produced that gets a KPMG or a Deloitte or whatever it may be um, logo stamped on the front of it. And so this is the kind of ways... Uh, in which state capture can be affected through research and policy making. That that that's just one example, uh, and of course there are a great many on the fossil fuel side, as we touched on before. Yeah, and one of the interesting things that you have in this section of the report is the noting the way that the privatisation of government services plays into this because a lot of things that should be government um, responsibilities are then outsourced to the private market who can then, you know, just put their vested interests in there. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. So that exactly right. So that is privatising, um, which in many cases needs to be publicly, well, at least governed by much stronger regulations than other case than just having them be outsourced into private industry. So that's right. Mm. And the last one that you've got there is public influence campaigns. Yeah, the, so this um, the public influence campaign is the way that industry can influence public opinion by... Um, organising campaigns of influence. So the big mineral resources rent tax was one that happened a few years ago, in fact, forced the the loss of the Prime Minister over that one, where an industry really hugely funds um, a a campaign designed to have maximum political impact. Um, We see... But that's a big example, but there are other ones that are just happening a lot all the time. So, for example, in the... On the side of the weapons industry, there's an organisation called the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which what is a publicly, well, partly publicly funded now, it was mostly publicly funded when it started, called ASPE, which provides um, defence and strategic advice into government. So it has progressively been um, accepting funding from the weapons industry. It also, the people on its board now have, uh, are on board positions with weapon makers as well. So it's it's been highly influenced by the weapons industry. But you don't hear that when... So that organisation, ASPE, is very often asked to um, speak on ABC or on radio, in other media, often in The Australian, um, speaking about um, national security and defence issues. But it never declares the sources of its background funding or the um, people on its board who are associated with the weapons industry. So that's what we mean by... That's another end um, from the big mining campaign that happened, you can see there's a full range where industry can influence um, public debate and have public influence without necessarily the public being aware of of it. Yeah, and most of us would be very familiar at this point with how this plays out in traditional media where the Murdoch media sort of takes 
certain positions which are mostly pro-business and pro a certain kind of business and then runs with that in a supposedly impartial news coverage kind of way. Um, But Mm. one of the other things that you've got there is... Um, social media and this is a kind of new field for uh, the state capture groups to um, expand into yeah that's true because a lot these days traditional media is starting to have less influence and social media is having markedly more influence and of course that can be manipulated very strongly and fairly simply by um, with by corporations or others seeking to influence what people see through social media, um, particularly with Facebook and just all the algorithms. And We think what we're seeing is what we're choosing to see, but that is not always the case. Um, a good example, just having that I mentioned ASPE just before, the Strategic Policy Institute, it's actually now got a partnership going with Twitter, where um, Twitter has... It, it, is relying on research that ASPE produces and has in fact started culling some Twitter accounts from Twitter on the basis of ones related with China and um, other countries. So you can see, I'm not saying anything about that, I haven't looked into that in detail, but there there was a lot of discomfort in the US when that relationship was set up just because of the way that ASPE is now being funded by the US government as well as weapons corporations, and yet its research is being relied on by Twitter in order to give people um, access to that platform. So it's just something we need to be aware of and start looking at a lot more closely because these sorts of influences are happening. Yeah, and in in elections, particularly in the US, but also in Australia, we have seen uh, the influence of social media campaigns, particularly ones targeted using data harvesting, targeted at specific uh, swing seats or swing constituencies. And, of course, you know, there's all kinds of issues with uh, fact-checking these things or being clear about what's advertising and what's just content or um, there's a whole other murky world of sort of disinformation on social media. Absolutely. It's a real issue, isn't it? It's very disturbing. Well, that brings us to an end of the six channels of state capture you've got there. And now there's two case studies in the report as well. Um, one on fossil fuel industries and the other one which you were more involved in the arms industry. You have already talked about some of those examples, but do you want to briefly uh, mention that case study? Um, I prob- yes, uh, thanks, Andy. I've probably covered a few of the examples in what we've already been talking about because it's just easier to sort of use the examples rather than speak in terms of the theory. So, yes, I... Um, uh, wrote the, with some input from others, the arms industry case study, which goes through each of those six channels we've gone through uh, with examples of how it's working in Australia currently. Um, And then um, other people, including Scott, were doing the fossil fuels one. So I I think it's a... 
really helps the report. You have the the sort of the theory put at the start, but then you can see it in action using examples that everyone will know and be able to understand through the case studies. So um, it's it's really worth having a look at those. Mm, and it helps to understand things like the continuing uh, hawking around China, conflict with China or something. You're like, why do these politicians keep doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, when it all boils down, the weapons industry needs warfare and unrest in order to make money. If if, if we lived in a peaceful world with no conflict, they'd be out of business. So uh, there, there are those dark influences at work and um, that's part, a very strong part of what this um, case study is about is just showing the many ways that that influence can be brought to bear so people are aware of it. Mm. Okay, so the report ends with uh, four recommendations, which is good. Uh, there's, there's a lot of bad news in the report. It's good to have a few ideas for how we can make it better. Uh, can you tell us what these recommendations are? Yeah, sure. Um, the first one, which is really important, is to name it. So let's name state capture. And actually, I was interested on that. I was interested to see today, in today's um, on the ABC, they use the example of the Hawkeye armoured vehicle um, being delayed due to having faulty brakes. This is actually one of the exact examples that I've got in the report, um, and it's a long. <laughs> it's a long saga of Australian taxpayers spending too much and many, many delays, as often happens um, in the defence sphere. So I think what's important now is that we have this model and we can start naming, when we see these things, we can start naming it as state capture. And um, that's an important thing to do, to recognise it as a threat to our democracy and to name it as such. Mm. So that's the first one. Um, in the second one, um, it's about uh, the Australian Democracy Network has put forward a framework for a fair democracy. Um, they've got three important elements in that, being stamping out corruption, ending cash for access, and levelling the playing field at election time. So... How, well, what can ordinary people do about that? Well, in terms of stamping out corruption, the federal ICAC, having an independent commission against corruption at the federal level, is of crucial importance. And we can already see in Australia that the momentum towards that is really building, particularly with um, the current government and the many scandals on rorts and corruption. So that is something where public influence is having an impact and people can continue to pressure through whatever channels they can on that because it's of vital importance. Um, I kind of see another thing related to that is the rise of independence standing at the next election. We see that, and I, I think that's another response um, from within our democracy. People dissatisfied with the politics as usual um, because... Oh, actually, which I haven't said yet, when it comes to state capture, the thing about it that's important is it's not party political. It actually occurs across the board no matter which major party. Um, that's an element of it, that it's that, that this phenomenon is still going to exist no matter which major party is in power. And so I think 
the public are recognising that and that's why we're seeing this rise in um, the role of independence. Um, so it's going to be an interesting election on that point of view. Um, where did I get up to? I've done the first two recommendations. So um, the third one is... Um, creating political and social consequences for corporations as well as political decision makers who engage in this behaviour. And again, the things I've already just mentioned there being the rise of independence and others, are some of these um, consequences that are starting to come out. So it's not just enough to change legislation. We have to sort of... Um, have an influence and there needs to be consequences on both the corporations and the politicians who engage in this behaviour. Um, and to do things, the fourth one is protect our vibrant and diverse democracy. So, you know, community radio, other things, we need to support institutions, media and others who give a vibrant and diverse voice to other elements of democracy, not just the major corporations, not just the major elements of the political system. There's a lot in there, but it's good to end on that one that is sort of involves everyday people that you have this thing of, this is why your vote doesn't do anything, this is why our election, our democracy is broken, all this kind of thing, but it does end on this thing of like, well, we have to try to... Uh, create those civic institutions that can challenge corporate power and so it does bring it back to the power of everyday people to affect change. Absolutely and it really does work and I know what it's like too because I just do my own work by myself and we're talking about a huge global arms industry and it's very easy to get overwhelmed and think what, what difference does any one person make but in the end um, if we're all, that's what democracy is. We, if we have a lot of people heading in a similar direction, expressing their concerns, finding people um, willing to work on similar things, and then, you know, it does make a difference. So every single person does make a difference. Um, I, I sort of rushed through those four things at the end, but if um, your listeners want to download the report, they are laid out there and you'll be able to get some ideas of what you can do. And I highly recommend that people do that and get involved. It's a great report. Lots of fun infographics as well as all the um, quality information and everything. And um, it is on the Australian Democracy Network website. Yes, that's where it is. Okay, thank you very much, Michelle. Good talking to you, Andy. Thanks. We have been talking with Michelle Fay um, the whole show about state capture, why our the institutions of our society seem to function for the benefit of certain private companies rather than all the people who live in this country. Um, state capture is a concept that tries to explain how this happens. And you can read that report. It is at australiandemocracy.org. Oh, I've lost the uh, thing. Australiandemocracy.org slash state capture. Or if you just search for Australian uh, Democracy Network, uh, 
and state capture report you will find it and you can read the whole thing it's fairly long but it's not written in very uh, difficult language and it's worth trying to get your head around these kind of things but then also of course it is worth trying to figure out what are we going to do about it and this is where it gets a bit trickier um i think one of the realms I'm involved in as well as the weapons industry that Michelle was talking about. Of course, the climate uh, movement is just so hijacked by um, corporate interests that we've seen numerous times governments actually bring in legislation to try to curb emissions and then see it um, toppled by infighting within politics and backed by corporate interests and this is where we just need to build uh, big movements of people and uh, we need to educate ourselves on what kind of tactics are useful on the history of effective social movements and um, work towards influencing, sometimes influencing the market itself um, rather than our political system, which is so corrupted, but trying to go straight for... Uh, these corporations and try to use their own uh, ideas of corporate responsibility and their own trying to sell themselves as ethical companies, try to use that, which has been effective in recent years. But of course, it's a hard slog taking on big, powerful corporations, but it is what we need to do if we are going to protect our climate for one, but have a functioning democracy. We're out of time for the paradigm shift this week. See you next time.